All right, hello, and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Kevin Thompson. And today, joining us on the podcast, we're going to revisit an old subject we haven't talked about lately, and that is uh, the issue of King James onlyism. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I know a lot of my audience, I mean, you're, you're kind of in my shoes. You're, uh, you, you're kind of out of the independent fundamental Baptist movement, uh, but many of you aren't, and many of you would be surprised that there is a large segment of evangelical Christianity that would say that there's only one acceptable Bible translation, and that is the King James Version. They would say 1611, but we would say 1769, but uh, whatever, it, it, it's the older King James Version, because everything else is a perversion. Everything else um, just cannot match the style, the accuracy, and even some would claim the inspiration of the King James version of the Bible. And the King James is still a a highly regarded version as it should be. Uh, But the question is, is it the only acceptable uh, version? And so I have with me on the podcast for the very first time, uh, author, uh, new author, right, Josh? I don't think you've written anything in the past. Nope, it's my first book, yep. So uh, Josh Barzon, Josh, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. And you mind if I call you Joshua? We haven't actually met before. You know, my mom's honestly the only one that calls me Joshua and my wife when she's mad. So you can go ahead and call me Joshua. All right, well, I'm not mad at you yet. Yeah. <laughs> actually, after reading this book, and I do appreciate a copy of the book. I've got my, what I call my media mogul uh, nice. copy. Uh, it's one of the great things. That's really the main reason why I went into podcasting. So I can get early editions of books before. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and uh, Free books is my love language. So, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Josh, uh, first, just let us know about yourself. Tell us a little bit about how you came to know the Lord, just kind of your background. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so I, I guess to some people I'm young, to other people I'm old, but I'm 28 years old, so I'm at that perfect middle ground. You know, teenagers think I'm weird, but older people think I'm young. So I've had a a pretty interesting life so far. Um, I was born in 1994 in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, actually. Wow. Uh, my, my dad was a defense contractor. Um, long story short, him, him and my mom were actually pretty nominal Christians or Catholics, honestly, um, just working for the government over in the Middle East. They're both Americans. And they were actually invited to an underground Bible study uh, by another contractor on the base in the late 80s, early 90s. And the guy was just a good, solid evangelical Christian, taught on the end of Revelation about, you know, the judgment. And my parents heard the gospel for the first time that night, and uh, they believed. And I mean, right off the coast of the Red Sea, where the children of Israel passed through, picturing salvation, my parents got saved. So that's kind of you know where I kind of start at before I was even born, you know. Um. So yeah. So we grew up in the Middle East for most of my life. I grew up in Egypt uh, for about eight years. Was in Saudi Arabia for a year, and then we moved all over with my dad's job. And getting into Christianity we were more so in kind of the more charismatic leaning circle starting off. Uh, the guy that led my dad to the Lord was just a good average non-denominational guy, kind of charismatic leaning with some, you know, different views on signs and gifts later in life as a teenager, we kind of swung the other way. My dad started studying, uh, you know, the gifts and the tongues and, and I love and respect my dad that he said, you know, this isn't measuring up biblically the prosperity gospel, you know, tendencies that we saw, so then we entered fundamentalism um, very heavily. 
you know, things, you know, as far as very strict on, you know, music, the type of music you use, right. even dress, you know, Bible translations and associations. And, and I still have many friends that are much more fundamentalist than I would be that I love and I respect and they're good, yeah. good people. But I came to a point that I had to start questioning some things and looking at the Bible and asking, did God say this or is this an application man has made and said it's the only interpretation? And that is what kind of started getting me thinking was application versus interpretation. And the reason we're talking today is because the the big issue that kind of pushed me out inadvertently, I wasn't trying honestly to get out, was the issue of the King James translation. I came to a point that I could not with a good conscience say that the King James version is the only English translation acceptable for men. And I couldn't go further and say it was the perfect, never changing translation because god never promised that in one particular language and i also came to the point of working with people that didn't speak english and some evangelical outreach ministries that i felt literally like i would be hindering them by giving them a king james looking at my children so those are some practical and then there's some scholastic issues that led me out so that's just a kind of quick tidbit of kind of what brought me to your podcast today okay so i'm I'm going to play fundamentalist here and go ahead you started your, your move out of fundamentalism by questioning the word of God. Hath God said, that's, that's what the serpent said in the garden. So <laughs> that's what led you. No, I, I'm, I'm completely. Oh, you're good. Go ahead. I, I've gotten <laughs> all these questions already. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, I, I've got a similar, similar background where I, I remember sitting in, uh, you know, my dad got saved and he was in the Air Force. And uh, after this is, uh, you know, my mom passed away at an early age. So uh, we moved to uh, Massachusetts from California oh, yeah. looking for a church. And we did, we found a, what we thought was a good church, but it was different. We had come from an actual, a little more of a Jesus movement, uh, yeah. semi-charismatic church. And then we came to this fundamentalist church, which there are many good things about that church. And in fact, I still have sure. time to that church today. Um, and I, I thank the Lord for the people there. Um, but it, well, I remember uh, in a Sunday school class, we were reading uh, a portion of scripture and the Sunday school teacher asked me to read. And I pulled out my NIV Bible because it was, oh, no. and oh man, the shocks on the other kids' faces. Um, and I had no idea what was going on. Um, but I was kindly told later and, and, and in love that that's not the version we use here. Mm-hmm. And so that began my trek into uh, King James onlyism, yep. and uh, went to uh, a college that's known for their stance on that and the videos they put out uh, concerning the King James version. And um, and it was wasn't until I was in ministry, and uh, I was in a church where it was an inner city church that didn't realize it was an inner city church. Uh, it was built <laughs> in the eighteen hundreds in what was then a a prosperous suburb that had kind of turned into an inner city. Uh, years and years later, and we were ministering to people who barely spoke English, yep. but we were still using an archaic King James translation. Uh, I'm trying to teach Elizabethan English to kids that uh, barely knew modern English, yes. and uh, that's kind of what, there's got to be a better way, and so yep. um, I began reading uh, James White and some others and that's what kind of took me out. And that wasn't the only thing that left that had to be fundamentalism. Um, but that was a main issue. And so yeah. in your book here, you just written this book, The Forgotten Preface, 
And uh, um, this will be out soon. In fact, by the time this podcast airs, I think it'll actually be out. Yep. Um, and so we'll provide a link to that. I, I want you to purchase this. This is an important book. Uh, we had Mark Ward on a couple of years ago and his book authorized. Um, but you take a very, not a very different perspective, but a, a, a definitely different uh, look at this issue. You're using the King James Version itself to show some of the fallacies of the King James only movement. And I want to mm-hmm. preface this, but preface this. The, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I want to preface this by saying um, we're not against the King James translation of the Bible. Right. It's a great translation that God has greatly used and greatly yes. blessed. And if you read it today, you will be greatly blessed yep. Amen. Um, yep. by reading it. But we're saying it's not the only translation exactly. that someone can use. Um, I, I read the ESV and the NIV and, uh, and the CSV and some other translations that I am blessed by as well. But I still have most of my verses memorized in King James Version. Oh, yeah. I'm thankful for that. Yep. And um, so, Josh, in, in your book, you kind of, well, you don't start off, but in the appendix, I, I love your, your story here. Tell us a little bit about your story, how. Um, you're sitting in church one day and your pastor basically says, Hey, there's a little section in the front of my Bible. If there's a preface here by the translators and tell us how, how that kind of led you down this road. Yeah. So that was honestly the sign pointing to the rabbit hole that got me in. Um, it was actually in college in chapel and a speaker was saying that, and I don't think he knew what he was saying. I don't think he was trying to point us to go to the preface to question the King James, I think it was one of those messages of you should read your Bible cover to cover. I think he was being hokey saying even read the maps. And even at the front, there's, there's a letter that most people don't even read. Mm. Well, I opened up my Bible and that letter wasn't there. And I felt cheated. And I'm like, man, how come they didn't put the letter in, in my Bible? And I just chucked that away and went on a couple years later. I think it was my junior or senior year. Um, a roommate left college, didn't come back. He left some Bibles and I have it right here. This is the, the new Cambridge paragraph Bible, uh, David Norton edits it. Um, and he works with Cambridge and it's a King James version. It's not a different version, but it's in paragraph format. And I, I, <laughs> I use this for years. I loved it. And at the beginning was the preface and that finally got my mind going. I think I read it, but didn't really understand what they were saying until I'm going to skip way ahead. Sure. I came to the point that I was getting ordained, putting my doctrinal statement together. And I had to be honest with God and say, God, I cannot just copy and paste what my college's systematic theology outline was and say, I believe this. I came to my doctoral statement and reevaluated everything, honestly, and said, why do I believe this? I read both sides. And the amazing thing I tell people is I came away believing the majority of what I always believed. I, <laughs> I still believe in the hypostatic union. I still believe in the Trinity. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm still there. You believe in the virgin birth. You still believe in marriage. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I found, I found out what the fundamentals were by, you know, studying for my ordination, you know? So, so I go through that and I came to bibliology and I got to preservation and I looked at all the proof texts and I thought, man, I, I, I don't know if I can with a good conscience say this is always, you know, 3000 years ago, they were talking about the King James and it put a question in my mind that I could not resolve that said, where was God's every word jot and tittle perfect Bible in 1610? Yeah. Like 1610 broke me because that means God's a liar until 1611. Right. So 
up to my ordination, I became King James preferred because I knew that was the most I could go. I let my pastor even know, hey, I put in my doctrinal statement. I, while I believe the King James is, is the best translation, I'm, I, you know, I said that in my doctrinal statement, I don't believe it's the final one. That was as far as I could go with a good conscience. I was actually told before my ordination, I could not read that during my ordination. I was told I could believe it, but I couldn't say it. So that was in my ordination doctrinal statement as I was up there getting ordained, but I could not read it. I, that was the red flag. I should have really started thinking after my ordination. And, and this is recent. This is actually, you're going to laugh. A week, a, a year ago this week, I actually got ordained in April of 2021. Over that summer, I started working with some Muslim refugees that had settled in the Des Moines area where I live at in Iowa, who did not speak English well. And I thought, Josh, you can't, you got to go further than just preferred. You got to look at this issue to make sure you can use other translations. Yeah. And that's when I started reading Carson, you know, Ward, all these non-King James guys. And I wasn't convinced. And then I read David Cloud and I read D.A. Waite and I read all these other guys for King James. And I wasn't convinced. And I've been accused of being swayed just by people I read. Josh, you're getting influenced by the yeah. wrong people. And I say, listen, I read all the books and I still wasn't convinced until, and your, your listeners won't see this, but until I read this book right here, I ordered a copy of the preface mm. just in booklet format from Amazon direct print. And I read this and you can see it. I highlighted it mm. and, and penned it and devoured it up. And I, I laughed because I got done and I looked at my wife and I said, honey, the King James translators weren't King James only. Yeah. And I just laughed and I got to this point that I said, yikes, I'm in hot water. I got ordained. I was honest. I meant everything I said, but now I'm a couple months later and I do not believe that the King James is the only one we should use. So that's really what brought me to write the book and where I am right now. All right. So this is fascinating because again, your, your book is looking at what the King James translators themselves had to say. So yes. we're not looking at James White or D.A. Carson. Yes or uh, Bob Jones University or, or others who attack the word of God. Um, <laughs> yeah. But these are the people that most of your King James only scholarship would point to and say, these are better than modern translators. Because modern translators, uh, there's one of them that was a lesbian who worked for the NIV translation <laughs> committee. And there are, uh, uh, you know, the apostate people, you know, the, the Westcott and Hort uh, in the world that just uh, want to destroy the word of God. and Yep. bring somehow uh, witchcraft and Satanism into uh, the text. But <clears throat> these are, and we've talked a little bit before about uh, before the podcast about D.A. Waite. This is one of his uh, four arguments for the King James Version is a better translators. And so these are what the translators themselves wrote in this translation. And so the, the preface is, as you, you mentioned before, a lot of people don't even know there is a preface. Yeah. To the King James only, uh, excuse me, to the King James uh, yeah, yeah. Bible. And, uh, you know, for years, I, I had never mm -hmm. known there was, mm -hmm. a, there was a preface. And uh, I do remember reading that for the first time, like, wow, yeah. um, this is not what I've been taught. Yeah. So, so in your book, you go through uh, nine different thesis statements yeah. uh, about the preface. You kind of break that down, and it's really shocking. And I, I want to ask you about um, a couple of these. Yeah, and uh, we don't uh, we don't have a, a ton of time to get into all of this, and I don't want to get into all of this because I want you to go out and buy the book. <laughs> yeah, um, and so uh, one of the um, 
you know, if, if I were a good podcast host, I'd have everything highlighted and ready to go as oh, soon as good. the podcast started. Uh, but my alarm didn't go off this morning. Oh, no. Um, and actually, yeah, I made a mistake. It was 10 thesis statements. I said nine. Um, You're good. <laughs> but um, anyway, what does that number 10 say? I think I missed that. Oh, yes, it's a good one, too. But anyway, um, <laughs> one of the statements you, that, that you make is that, thesis number seven, the King James translators believe that, they, that those opposed to modern translations would use the age of previous translations to argue against new translations. And I think that's yep. the number one argument out there today, uh, at least that when I, as a kid and as a teenager and as a college student, what I heard was God used the King James Version in great ways. Look at the revivals. We don't see those today because of modern perversions and modern translations. But back in the day, uh, we had the great revivals. We had the great awakenings, one and two, and uh, the preaching of great pastors in the past. Mm -hmm. So why do you want to mess with the word of God? And so, yeah. so how do you answer that? Yeah, so using what I, what, I, what I love is, and this is what broke me from King James Onlyism was, if we're going to use arguments past 1611, then we need to go before 1611 and make sure the arguments right. hold up. And what I think is really funny is I have it right here. I, I collect Bibles. I love Bibles. If you ever yeah. see one, Kevin, that's cool. And you have two of them, send it my way. Um, I have here a uh, modernized Geneva Bible. Um, it literally is the 1769 type of edition of the Geneva. So this is not, no textual changes were made. No words were changed. But, you know, the Fs and the Vs were changed to sound yeah. how we speak today. So this is, you know, a Geneva Bible. I can pick this up and I have before and had my devotions in it and read it. It makes 100% sense as much as the King James does. And what I think people don't realize is that when the King James translation came out in 1611, there were five major English translations you could buy on the market. Mm. You could buy the Geneva, you could buy the Bishops, you could buy the Coverdale, you could buy the, the Matthews, um, you could buy the Taverners. And I know a lot of these are kind of interconnected to each other. But what's interesting is before 1611, people were okay with multiple translations. And right. what I would argue is, why did we go to the King James? Why wasn't the Geneva good enough? And what I think is funny is that if you add nine years past 1611, you get a year every history student should know, 1620, okay? The pilgrims yeah. coming over, and guess what Bible they brought? They brought the Geneva because, in their words, they didn't want that dreaded King James, that horrible translation that messed with how they memorized and knew their Bible. I will go back even further to the Latin Vulgate, which for 1,100 years had unrivaled usage in the church. Yeah. And people say, well, that was Latin. That was in English. Latin was the English of the day. Even today, Latin is a scholastic language that you can learn and use in an academic realm. So the arguments of God has always used it. Well, God always used the Geneva until yeah. something else came along in the Latin Vulgate, et cetera, et cetera. That would be my response. Yeah. And, and you mentioned also that in, in thesis four, that the King James translators believe that differing translations and even, even faulty translations. Oh, yeah. Translations that were not correct are still the word of God. Yes, exactly. And um, so the other, the other one I want to bring up here real quick um, that uh, the King James translators did not believe number five, their translation was perfect. Because oh, yeah. That has to be, because I, I remember a, a message in college, um, and the, the pastor gave this illustration about a, uh, 
watermelon patch. And some kids were coming in there at night and they were stealing the watermelons and all that stuff. And the pastor said, the guy came up with a great idea. He put a little bit of poison in one of those watermelons. And so he left a note to the kid saying, one of these watermelons is poisonous. But I'm not going to tell you which one. <laughs> and so the kids didn't touch it. And so if, if your modern Bible translation has some sort of mistranslation somewhere, anywhere, you don't know where it is and, and you have the, the opportunity to, to partake of poison and you oh, no. don't even So therefore, stick with the old King James. <laughs> it's the only one you can trust implicitly. Mm. Does he that just right? Did I get that, that tone in there? I mean, like, I'm getting halfway convinced now to <laughs> just, like tear my book up and jump back in. So, right. So, yeah. So, the, so yeah. This, this is not the King James is not a perfect translation. So, therefore, does that mean you can't trust any translation at all? You can't King, trust the King James? No. And I think there's so much conflation between that. If people want to nail me on, you're saying the Bible's not perfect. Yeah. No, I'm saying translations aren't perfect. Right. You know, what's funny is if you really want to proof text this, God says in Psalms that forever, O Lord, thy word, I'll use the King James, is settled in heaven. So if you really want to bank on it, God knows the jot and tittle, everything. We live in a world with translations and manuscript differences. What also helped me scholastically to come to where I am now is realizing that the King James translators did textual criticism to put their translation right. together. Right. Um, I'll send this to you later if you want it, and I may actually include it as an appendix in my book once we get to the end. But I have a, and I'm looking at it on my other computer here, I have a comparison of every reading in the New Testament of the King James that does not match up to the Textus Receptus edition they mm -hmm. were using. I have every time they went to Stephanus's TR, or they went to Beza's, or they went to the bishops, the polyglot, Tyndale's, or an unknown source that has not found in any TR reading. Yeah. So we have to come to this point that we realize the King James translators themselves did not have one clean manuscript. And this is right. what helped me. I used to think they had one piece of Greek and they went yeah. word for word back and right. forth. They had one piece of Hebrew. They had tons of manuscripts that they were checking and backdating and looking right. at. And they even have marginal notes, which I think most people don't realize. I have right. a... 1611 400th year edition Bible right here. And I think another thing that's missing for most King James Bibles is not just the preface, but the marginal notes. Right. One right. of D.A. Waite, who's one of the most King James only advocates, he gives a whole list of things that are changed and how they ruin doctrines. One of the ones he gives, and I'm going to read it to you, is in Colossians um, chapter three, verse two. We all know this verse. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. OK, yeah. love that verse. Great verse. Modern versions change affection to mind. And he writes a whole page of God wasn't saying your mind. He was saying your affection, your affection comes from your mind to where you're just scratching your head going, okay, this is in the weeds. What I think is funny is here in my 1611 marginal notes, the alternate translation for affection is mind. Hmm. And it cracks me up that, you know, you can even go to Psalm 12 where they say, you know, you know, as you know, purified in the fire seven times, thou will keep them, O Lord, from this generation forever. And it's the big debate of, is that talking about the words or is that talking about the righteous in the context of the psalm? We'll go to your marginal notes in your King James Bible and they have in the, in the margin, them referring to, or him, meaning a person, a righteous man. So my response to that is, I am not saying God's word isn't perfect, but God has chosen a paradox 
that his word is perfect, yet translations are not. In the same way that the first shall be last, give it will be given unto you. We should not stumble at paradoxes because we live in an upside down world of the kingdom of God where paradoxes is how we live. Right. So this is an incredibly valuable resource. And I, and I want you guys to get this book. Again, The Forgotten Preface by Joshua Barzon. We'll have a link to where you can purchase this. And uh, Josh, you also go through, uh, and our time is running low, so we can't uh, get into all of this, but oh, you, you actually go through, you list several attacks that you've received, that modern translations have received, and you go through in a, in a, in a short, pithy uh, manner and, and, and just kind of tear them down a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I think if I, you know, I, I, reading through your book, uh, if I could summarize it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you have a true appreciation for the actual King James translation, it'll lead you to use other translations. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, just the marginal notes there, um, the preface, these are all things that aren't in modern King James versions. And yes. you actually even said, um, touch on something really important uh, in your last explanation, that uh, even the, the, the highly regarded TR, the Texas Receptus, um, wasn't just one document mm-hmm. um, that Erasmus came up with or, or, or translated, right, but right. that itself went through several stages mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. revisions and updates and so on. And it wasn't, I, I think the King James translators used the, the, the Beza translation. Yeah, correct. Um, not, not, not even Erasmus. Right. Um, so uh, it, the history, and you go through this as well in one of your appendix, appendices, uh, the history of the King James translation and, and the English translations in general, uh, the history of English translations have been updates and revisions. Yep. And so these modern translations, that we're using today stand in the rich tradition that the King James version itself stands in. Yes, absolutely. And I would argue too, that modern translations are what the King James translators would want to see their work continue to be. I'll yeah. quote them in a, in a paraphrase. They said, truly, Oh, good reader. We did not intend to make a perfect translation, but to make of a good one better. And that, is such the spirit that they had of continue to make this so that the, the, the common man on the street, and this is another phrase of theirs, can hear God speak as if they were a resident of Canaan. And that's yeah. amazing when you think the way that a Canaanite heard the God of the Bible speak is the way that the guy in New York City or the kid sitting in Iowa should hear God speak in their tongue as well. Right. Yeah, I mean, Tyndale himself wanted, you know, even the plowboy to understand yes. scriptures. Oh, yeah. And that's just not going to happen um, with a, a 1611 King James. Yes. Uh, which we don't even use anymore. No, exactly. Yeah, you said um, it, 1769. And, yeah. and, and I want to say this, too, because you and I know this, Kevin. I know our time is running short. But we know the big uh, debate here that people can say is, well, it's all about the text. It's the critical text versus the TR. And they'll yeah. go, okay, we'll give it to you. There's not one TR, but the TR tradition. And I want to say to those good people who I believe have some good reasons for that, I'm not TR only. I have some brothers that are. Um, I am TR respectful, okay? I would say, then why don't you go pick up, and I have it in my hands, a New King James or a modern English version? These are both modern translations that are not based on the critical text. And people say, yes, they are. I've heard that. 
No, they're not. Read my book. I have a whole section using the New King James as a case study right. to give you literally the most conservative modern option you could use to read the Bible in modern English if you don't want to be bothered by the textual issues. Yeah, I remember uh, when um, my wife first came to um, what was her new church, my old church, mm-hmm. and um, she brought in, and I, <laughs> I hate to say this, I made her put a Bible cover on her Bible. She brought in a new American standard Bible. Oh no. <laughs> and at that point I was kind of leaning against King James onlyism, but I said, all right, honey, you got to cover that thing up. I don't want to get fired. <laughs> right. Okay. And, um, as the pastor be preaching, he, he, you know, and, and in the Greek, this, this, this means this. And she just pointed to me and said, it's, it's already in here. It's already in. Here. <laughs> um, and so, uh, yeah, I would challenge any one of you who are struggling with this. Um, yeah read Josh's book, read uh, what the translators themselves had to say, but then pick up a modern translation, Mm -hmm. bring it to church with you, use it just for a week in your devotions. Yeah. And, and, and see for yourself. Um, You're, you're not going to see the devil's fingerprints right in this. Um, You're not going to see yourself casually drifting away from the faith. In fact, um, if you have the same experience as I did, you'll find your faith being even uh, encouraged and strengthened. And, and Josh, you said, you know, you, you haven't, you haven't left the faith. You still believe in the virgin birth and the veracity of miracles. And you still believe Jesus is coming back, right? Amen. Absolutely. All right. So uh, you still believe in salvation by grace through faith alone. Yes. Uh, plus or minus nothing. And yep. uh, all the key cardinal <clears throat> doctrines of the faith. They're there. But yep. now they're now they're accessible, yes, um, to the modern mind. So, Jeff, thank you for coming on the podcast, and, and thank you for for this book. Again, the book is entitled "The Forgotten Preface." We'll have a link to it. You need to buy it. And uh, Josh, any any final thoughts? Any final comments that you want uh, listeners to know as they're going to be opening up your book? Yeah, no, I appreciate you, Kevin. And um, I know the time was short, but this was really good, very succinct. I think we covered what we needed. I would say the practical point of this that I want people to know is that a lot of people come out of King James onlyism and hate the people that taught them that were King James only. They get yeah. angry. I am not. In fact, my goal is to build and keep as good relationships as I can. Right. We sadly right. had to leave the church we're at because I didn't want to put the pastor in a tough situation. It was kind of he wouldn't allow me to teach there if I didn't use the King James only. I said, hey, I'll, I'll teach with it. He said, nope, you have to be it even all the way personally. We chose to leave. I don't want to create a stink, you know. But I still love those people. And if they needed me, I would go take a bullet for them because we're going to live forever in heaven together. And that's my goal in life is not to let divisive issues divide us when the gospel is what's supposed to unite us. So that is what I want this book to be. It's not an attack. It's actually a loving expose to help your King James only brothers out. So, yeah, I throw that out. And um, if anyone wants to find it online, they can go to I'll give you a link. It's uh, the forgottenpreface.com if they want to find a link to it. ForgottenPreface.com. We'll have that in our show notes. And that's, again, what I really appreciate about this book, and you and Mark do a great job of this. You're not attacking anybody or anything. No. Um, this is not, no one's got a target on their head here. And you're not, you're not, and this is my criticism of folks in, in my position, in your position. Um, we're not going to mock anybody. You're not, you're not making no. the language. Um, you're, you're not taking shots at poor preaching or, or, or whatever. No. Um, right. And it's easy to do that. But then yeah. you, oh, yeah. You, you're not going to win anybody over no. that way. And that's not 
what God wants us to do anyway. We no, are, no. as you said, we are still brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. We're not doubting anybody's salvation. We're not throwing anybody under the bus, but we want to encourage our fellow brothers and sisters to get deeper into the word of God yes. and appreciate what I love about uh, our, our modern time is, and I think as a, as a historian, you're, you're, you can appreciate this as well, is that we're at a point in history in the church where we get to have a debate about translations. Yes, right. So much of, of church history has been up with people who had no, no option. Yeah. Um, they were lucky to have any portion of the word of God that they could keep and have in their own home. And we get to fight about what translation of the word of God we have. We have so many of them. <laughs> Right. That uh, it, it, God has just richly blessed us in that. Um, but our, we, are, we are way over time. So, Josh, thank you so much. Yep. Again, the Forgotten Preface, uh, we want you to go and buy the copy. Check out the show notes. We'll have links where you can do that. Uh, so join us again next week. Check us out on Twitter at uh, Basic Biblecast on Instagram as well. And join the discussion in our Facebook group. Um, you won't want to miss that. Uh, actually, you might because it's a little bit boring at the moment. But jump in and make it more lively. All right, so uh, www.basicbiblepodcast.org to find out all the information and see all the show notes and all of that. So until next week, have a great rest of your week.